What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Bible with Bordeaux. I am joined today to do an awesome interview with a, a friend of mine. Got to know him over the past few years through a mutual friend, Mr. Aaron Simpkins, who's been a supporter of the show for way too long. I don't know why he keeps doing it. Uh, but I am joined today with a, uh, a new published author of this book, Transplant, God's Sovereignty Over Our Sanctification, Mr. Marcus Tatum. How you doing, sir? Doing very well, man. Thanks for having me on here. Absolutely, man. Well, I kind of wanted to have you on the show for a while now, and I think I think I said it to you a while back, and you were like, well, let me hold off a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, so now we have the opportunity to do it. I just finished it this morning, uh, so yep. I figured it's the perfect time for us to be able to jump into it and, uh, and yeah, dive in. Fresh. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I think I read the last quarter this morning. It was, uh, yeah, from page 67 to 100 and... 1213 yeah yep. so yeah man um well written very well written and today we're going to talk about the the journey of the book the theology of the book because i, I got to talk about theology i love that yeah absolutely. Uh, i'm sure those who listen to the show also appreciate that because you're coming from a reformed uh theological standpoint which yep. i i will say i respect i don't know if i fully agree but hey it's an in-house discussion Absolutely. So if you think I'm wrong, please treat me with respect. <laughs> okay, please. Uh, yeah, man. So Marcus, tell us. Um, so first of all, I got to ask you, what made you decide to, is this your first book that you've ever written? So it's, it's my first full uh, published work. Um, I did get an opportunity to publish a chapter in a book that I was asked to contribute to. Okay. Um, that was regarding uh, more along the lines of American history and politics. Um, with a Christian uh, viewpoint. Um, but this is my first um, full public work that I've put out. Um, and uh, it's been a blessing to see God use it already. So Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And just a quick uh, just a quick shout out. He actually helped guide me through the process to be able to release my study got on the, the book of Ma- or Gospel of Matthew. And Marcus is currently helping edit my study of the book of James. So Marcus is, uh, he's really good at, uh, at the, the editing process. He's helped me out a tremendous amount. So I appreciate you, man. So, um, so I don't know where we should jump to first. So we jump to, let's go over your story and what kind of guided your pathway into writing the book. And then we'll talk about the stuff inside of the book. Sure. No, absolutely. Um, so the book is somewhat of a, what I've been calling a theological memoir. Um, so it's absolutely my story. Um, but the whole goal of the book really is to um, highlight uh, the sovereignty of God in, in, in my life and, and what I believe in any, any believer's life. Um, so my life in general just has been um, something that I've just seen the Lord um, in the, the very small details of, um, you know, and I've just had a lot of reflection over the last year. Um, and I've just always felt like the Lord has been very intentional in even the small things and things I just didn't have any control over, um, ultimately for a purpose. Um, and so, uh, the book came out of a place of where, um, you know, I had a really rough, uh, marriage that I was involved in for a year, um, which ultimately ended in divorce, unfortunately. Um, and you know, it put me in a place again, of reflection and finally to a place of repentance, um, where I really just wanted to document, um, you know, uh, my experience with the Lord in that season. Um, and so that's kind of. If, that, if that's what you're asking, that's kind of where, um, where I ended up and how I ended up writing that book. Yeah. 
So do you feel like there was an urgency to write it so close to the divorce being final or, or was there any thought about that? Did you feel like you needed to wait at all or, or how did that go? Uh, I, you know what? Um, there wasn't so much urgency um, in, re in, in reference to the divorce itself as much as it was, um, it was, again, a season where the Lord was teaching me a lot. And I, you know, I think I can put it in the preface of the book. Um, it, it just felt like I didn't want to forget. I didn't want to lose um, what the Lord was teaching me. And, um, and so I just felt, you know, uh, convicted to write and document what the Lord was showing me, what he was revealing to me, what he was teaching me. Um, and I just wanted to document it ultimately first and foremost for myself. Um, so that I, again, just kind of almost putting boundaries on, on myself to, to, to say, this is what the Lord is teaching me. Don't stray from this, right? Like, don't, don't be back here in five years. Don't cycle back and have to relearn the same lesson. Um, and so that was where the urgency came from, uh, not so much to um, the divorce. Um, but of course, there was a, definitely a process in which um, I definitely wanted to be respectful of the divorce, respectful of um, my ex. Um, and so, you know, there was definitely taking into consideration when and how. Um, and that's still a process even now as I, you know, publicize, you know, make public, um, you know, the book and the work. So, so did you did you contact her to let her know you were doing this or have you not really been in contact with her? So there's been no contact. Um, there's been no contact. And, and that's, and that's part of the testimony as well that um, I genuinely believe the Lord has been sovereign over and maybe that'll change at some point. Um, but ever since um, the, uh, the divorce has been no, no, uh, no contact. Um, and that's been due to a restraining order. Um, and I you know, like I said, I believe the Lord has, has definitely used that uh, for his purposes. And, um, and so, but like I said, in the way that I wrote the book as well, um, I made sure I did it in such a way that was respectful as much as I possibly could. Um, and, you know, I, even to the point where I didn't, didn't want to use her name, um, just because I, again, I couldn't use, I couldn't get permission necessarily. So um, I didn't want to be as respectful as possible um, while being um, transparent and, and honest um, about my experience. Yeah, I did notice that you always referenced her, you explained the concept of the wife, the wife of my youth. Mm -hmm. And then from there on out, you refer to your ex-wife as the wife of your youth. Right. And so, and I, I think it was about the 20th time you wrote it where I recognized he's using this every single time yeah, yeah. Uh, for a reason. Obviously there's a right. reason there and you, and you do explain that reason in the book. And yeah. so I thought that was, um, I thought it was uh, one, obviously purposeful, but I thought it was, cool that you were able to recognize her because it wasn't a bad thing. It was a good thing. You're recognizing where your error had been. Absolutely. And yeah, so absolutely. Uh, I do respect that. Now I know, uh, and I asked this question, um, in respect to you, uh, don't, don't want to be disrespectful with the question, but I know whenever a lot of people have, you know, like, I, I guess I'd say popular theologians or popular pastors, preachers in the public eye, you know, they, they make this, this mistake, they sin or whatever they fall and then they write a book as a, as almost a defense to them falling. Mm -hmm. uh, do you feel like any of this is like an apology, apology to your wife or um, anything like that in writing this book? Yeah, I, I think there was, there was temptation there, right? I think there was temptation for that to become this. And I don't think that's what this was meant to be. Um, again, I felt the Lord really convict me to write, um, but that's not what this was supposed to be. Um, this was, 
um, not so much an apology, because um, well, let me start here. Um, there absolutely were apologies due uh, and, and, and needed to be done. Uh, and when I get the opportunity, if I get the opportunity to do that personally with my ex, um, she is definitely worthy and deserving of an apology from me. Um, and on top of that, oh, excuse me, on top of that, there were definitely um, apologies that needed to be extended to um, others around us as well, uh, whether it was mentors, pastors, congregation. Um, and, you know, so I think um, those apologies definitely needed to, needed to happen um, and are still happening, um, you know, walking that out in, in relationships that, you know, um, need to be um, healed in a way. Um, but I don't think the book itself is an apology. I think the book really is just um, just a documentation of what the Lord has done in my life um, to bring me to a place of repentance, place of humility, um, and just kind of walk through what that process has been. Um, kind of explain and, and just make people more aware of um, areas of sin in their life that they may be blind to, um, deaf to, because I have many people telling me, you know, hey, you need to deal with such and such sin in your life. And I just didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to hear it due to pride. Um, and so really it's just a um, just an explanation of my experience as well as a theological, I guess, exposition diving into, um, you know, how does the Lord use these things um, to ultimately bring us to that place of repentance and humility. Yeah, man, I I think that's a good uh, I think that's a good breakdown and explanation, especially off of reading the book. Um, I kind of wanted to get that out there that way people didn't hear this and you know say, well, I'm not going to buy it because it's probably just him defending himself and and right. you know um, and obviously you know we get well you, you don't really go into the details per se mm -hmm. of your relationship. You're this is more of a I would say uh would you say a theological memoir. Yeah, a theological memoir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's kind of how it reads. It's like, hey, here's some some doctrinal points at the beginning, mm -hmm. and then my life, right. or at least a piece of my life, and right. then theology on the back end of it. Yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, the first the first few chapters are definitely um, the way that they're laid out is absolutely intentional. That you know, here's a bit of my story. Um, here's what I believe God is showing Himself to be in that that part of my story. Um, and then here's some scripture and, and some experiences of people in the, in the scriptures, um, you know, as well, that, that really just um, affirms God's uh, nature and character uh, in that way. Um, and so that's definitely a, was a goal of mine and intentional in the way I wrote the book, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So you do have the book. First of all, well, who did the cover? Because that cover is incredible. Yeah, bro. Let me let me tell you uh, the, the artist's artist name because um, he's absolutely worth uh, getting some some praise here. Um, his name is Sylvine Sylvine Rogue. I hope I'm saying that correctly. But um, essentially, he uh, put his work online to um, uh, to be used in this type of way. Um, and so I definitely want to give him credit. So his name is it's called Half Stone Heart, I believe, is the name of the artwork. Um, and, uh, I was definitely blessed to be able to use that. And, uh, it's definitely a dope artwork that when I saw it, I absolutely thought of Ezekiel 36, 26, of course. Um, you know, so, uh, that's, that's where we got the, the title or the, the cover from. Yeah, man. So from the title, uh, transplant, mm -hmm. is this a transplant of your spiritual heart? Yeah, I think, I think, I think it's just that, uh, Again, I think the book birthed out of a place of really just understanding, um, you know, we've all maybe heard the scripture, right, where uh, God will remove a, your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, right? Um, but I think I, I just went through an experience that where I was experiencing that very thing, 
Um, and initially, you know, the book, when I was writing the book, um, the book's title was actually going to be a jealous surgeon. Um, and so, you know, it was this idea that God, um, is the one that does this miraculous work in our hearts to, uh, take us from a place of, um, darkness or wickedness and, and actually, you know, change us from the inside out. Um, and so, yeah, I, I believe that, like, this is just a, an exposition, uh, of that work that God wants to do in each and every person's heart. Um, and this is just a story of how God has done it in my life and, you know, what he's used, uh, the experiences he's used in my life to bring me to that place of, of getting that new heart, if you will. And he's still obviously doing a work, uh, in me, uh, that's not finished for sure. So let's dive into the book, to the theology of the book. So, uh, you come from, and, and I, I think I mentioned it earlier before we, or after we started recording, is yeah. you do come from now more of a reformed theological um, theology. So I know at one point you considered yourself a two-point Calvinist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, this book sounds like it's it's flat out five points all across the board now. <laughs> quite close, quite uh, close. So can you explain kind of how you jumped into this Reformed theology mindset. And, uh, and this is going to be the segue into the actual theology of the book because sure. it helps explain it. So, Yeah, I think, and that's a great question, because I think um, one thing I've tried to be careful of uh, theologically in my own journey um, is not to go to extremes um, and not to, especially not base theology off of my emotions. Um, and, Amen. Amen. And my 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 journey in to where I'm at now, I guess, and I'll give give you a brief backstory of how I even got here. Because before I was even a two point Calvinist, I was just like no to Calvinism altogether. Um, had a bad experience with a couple Calvinists in in college, and I was like, no, nah, I don't want to be anywhere near that. Um, you know, and uh, so what happened initially? Uh, I was in a class, and um, you know, the professor essentially told me, and this was a uh, theology class um, that was put on by the Evangelical Free Church. Um, and, uh, you know, went through Romans 3. I believe it's Romans 3, maybe 16 to 19, somewhere around there. Um, or no, 10 to 12, something like that. It's in the book. Um, but uh, essentially just walking us through um, the idea that um, none, none, is, none are good. Uh, none will turn to God. And, um, you know, even in our free will. And it's funny because a lot of people hear Calvinism or hear Reformed theology and they think, oh, we just, we don't believe in free will. And there's some that probably would say that straight up, they don't. Um, but the thing that very much got me into Reformed theology was this idea that, no, I think that scripture is very plainly saying there's free will. It's very plainly saying that, uh, you know, we, we, we choose things each and every day, um, but it just highlights that in our wickedness and our sinfulness and our, you know, straying from God that we just aren't going to turn to him. Um, and, you know, we really need, we need to rely on his, his work, his sovereignty, um, to really have him work in our hearts through the Holy Spirit to, to turn. I do have that um, scripture. It's, uh, yeah, yep. it's actually Romans three, um, 10 through 12. Uh, mm -hmm. essentially it says no, none is righteous. No, not, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together, have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. Is this the one you're referring to? Yep, that's it. That's gotcha, it. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. So, and that's kind of what got me, um, you know, halfway there. The two points, I guess. Um, and I'd still say I'm, I'm, 
And uh, to this day, and, uh, and I tell Aaron this, you just mentioned Aaron earlier, I tell Aaron this all the time, I don't, I would never tell somebody I'm a Calvinist. Um, I hate that term, I hate that label. Um, I even hesitate with Reformed theology sometimes, but um, it is reflective of, of what I believe mostly and, and probably, um, you know, uh, in terms of how I would weight my theology, if you will. Um, but yeah, I think that it, it's definitely been a journey. And I think and what I was saying earlier about experience and not letting experience and emotion necessarily um, dictate our theology. I think in my last, my experience over the last couple of years uh, in my sin um, and then in, in, in the process of repentance, you know, what I've seen is that, man, I've tried to, in my flesh, wrap my hands around my own sin and try to fix myself and, and fix my sin and just stop these bad habits or, you know, and try to do that within my own power. And of course, realizing you never can, right? Um, and, 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 and realizing that and eventually getting to a place of, of humility and then therefore repentance, true repentance, and then seeing, wow, this is what the Lord can actually do when he gets to do the work in your heart, as opposed to you trying to stop, stop sinning, you know? Um, and so that experience has helped me dive back into scripture and, and understand it a little bit differently than I, than I have previously. And so that's kind of been my journey, um, trying not to let the experience that I had and emotion you know, take me to an extreme, but it led me back to scripture. And even as I'm in scripture, I've been, um, you know, heading in that direction, to be honest. Um, but I think there's absolutely um, what I've learned to be what I call paradox in, in theology uh, quite often, where um, I don't think that um, the extreme of Reformed theology is accurate. I think that um, a lot of times it leaves it leaves out the responsibility of man, which I do believe is present in Scripture. Um, we do have a responsibility not only to live righteous righteous lives after we come to Christ, but also a responsibility to respond to the gospel. Um, and I think those both of those things can be true, absolutely, at the same time. And it may not be easy for human minds to wrap our head, heads around that, but that's okay. You know, uh, it's, it's the Bible. It's it's God himself. It's his nature. It's character. Um, and I don't think we can expect everyone on the side of heaven to really fully grasp, you know, both of those things simultaneously. But... I do believe scripture is clear that, that both of those things are present. Yeah, I know I, I always love having the conversation on uh, what is the the biblical concept of any form of free will. Uh, because mm -hmm. I do, you know, I've had conversations with folks who, you know, from Reformed theological backgrounds who right. believe there is a form of free will. And then there's those who say there's absolutely no form of free will at all. So uh, in the book, you do mention that there, you do believe there's an element of free will. So to your best understanding, what would you think that free will that we have is, or where does that lie? Sure. Yeah. Um, I definitely wouldn't agree with those that say there is no free will. Um, I do think there is possibly a distinction between free will and free choice, right? I think the will uh, I would define as something that um, my soul thirst for. Um, it's what I intend to happen. Um, and I do think the scriptures, you know, I think maybe we, there's a bit of a language um, break there when we talk about these things, because I think the will, um, if we start to define that, I think most Christians would come to the, the agreement that um, that part of us is what's broken. That part of us is what's um, fallen um, and therefore bent towards sin. Uh, I think the scriptures teach that. Um, but that doesn't mean that we don't have choice. Uh, we have complete freedom. Like God gives us freedom to choose him or not choose him. God gives us freedom to, to what, you know, toothpaste to use, right? 
Um, mm. there, there's freedom there um, to choose. But I think when it comes to the deep moral things of, of, of life and, uh, and our relationship with God, um, our will is to, um, it's strong, but it's the, 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 the term the scripture uses, which is hate God, um, is hate God and, and be um, hostile toward God. Um, and I think that will of the flesh um, is what's broken. And so I think in choice, we have freedom to, to choose. We have freedom to even respond to the gospel, which I think is a responsibility of man given to by God. Um, but yeah, I think there's that, that distinction that needs to be made. But I absolutely think there's free, freedom to choose and what we would normally call free will, but I'm, I would say freedom to choose. Okay, okay. Yeah. Understandable. So I know that, uh, you know, like you would get in trouble with a lot of Calvinists whenever you say, the freedom to choose God, the ability to choose God, because uh, most that I've talked to believes there's absolutely no way that anybody can choose God unless God uh, calls you to him. Mm-hmm. And then you don't have a choice but to accept, mm-hmm. which is the kind of the definition of predestination. Sure. Um, so that's that's generally what I hear. And I've learned a long time ago, don't generalize in general. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, I've, right. I've gotten blasted out for saying well Calvinists believe this and then right, I'm like right. well, I don't believe that I'm Calvinist that's not what right. I believe that's yeah. a that's a an extreme version and so um so I've kind of learned to not pin a, a a generalization to the best of my ability uh yeah. but I would say that the in the reformed theological landscape God's sovereignty is a huge the that is the factor Mm-hmm. Like that's the main course of that. Sure. And um, so much so that John Piper wrote a book called, I think it's called Sovereignty. Uh, Providence. I want to yeah. say Providence, Providence, Providence. Providence. Yeah. And um, which you actually use the term Providence a lot in this book as well. Mm-hmm. Have you read that book or? I am about a third of the way through. Okay. Um, but is it a, it's a great, it's like 800 pages, right? So it's huge stuff when to get through and it's, it's heavy for sure. Um, but no, I, I think, and I use the word providence, and as someone who does seem, you know, come from a reformed theological thought, um, I tend to bend towards using providence more than I would sovereignty, right? Um, I think to your point earlier about, um, you know, reformed people believing that God's sovereignty is kind of like the sticking point in, in all things. Um, I think most people would agree that, that, that he is the author and initiator of our salvation. That's what the scriptures tell us, right? Um, if he didn't send Jesus, then we're all screwed, right? And in his sovereignty, he sent Jesus. So we can even start there and just agree there, right? Um, but I think what the, the problem comes in is is that, you know, sovereign over what else? And, and how does that look, right? Is it ca- causation of every small detail? Uh, does God want us to suffer, you know, so on and so forth? Um, Did God create start- COVID? Did God right, give right, people like COVID? That. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so and then that's a perfect example to why I believe that providence is such a perfect and important um, uh distinction and not, i don't mean to say that they're two different things so i think the providence is is somewhat dependent on sovereignty of god right but the way i would define providence is just like god purposefully to a purposeful end governs all things and so he may not be the cause of all things he, he may not um desire certain things that do happen um but he, he he governs all things and so if he wants to stop something he can't if he chooses to stop something, then, you know, so be it, and, and so on and so forth. He just has the power to do so. And if he does or doesn't, he's doing it for a specific purpose because he has a very specific will. And I think that's what the importance of providence is because we're supposed to learn something in all things. We're supposed to genuine, genuinely become uh, more like Christ 
uh, consistently as we, as we go through this life. And that includes our suffering. And the scriptures are clear that suffering is supposed to help us get to that point. Um, and so I think that the providence uh, portion of, of, of the idea of, of sovereignty, if you will, is uh, super important because I think if you just say sovereignty and then strip God of, of the purpose behind it, um, then, you know, we're, we're missing the big picture. We're really missing the big picture. Um, but, you know, to the to this story of mine, uh, you know, my story and why I wrote the book, I really feel like God has used um, things that, of course, he did not cause. I am fully responsible for my sin. I am fully responsible for some of the consequences now of my sin, um, you know, and I think that God has absolutely used those things to teach me things, to teach me, you know, how to follow him better. And just I know him more accurately and I can worship him more rightly now because of those things that I've been through. And so I don't think I wouldn't say God caused or is responsible for my sin at all. Um, that is fully on me. Um, but I, I do believe God has absolutely sovereignly, providentially, um, and purposefully used uh, my, my mistakes, my sin, uh, areas of darkness in my life, and just really turn those around for, for his glory. So with that being said, let's dive into the title of the video, which is, uh, it's talking about God's sovereignty in the midst of our mistakes. So I think there's there's the there's the confusion of God causing us to sin, uh, God being sovereign over our sin. What is your your viewpoint, your vantage point of uh, God being sovereign in the midst of the choices that you made that were sinful? Uh, can you kind of paint a picture or give us a theological viewpoint of sure. of of how that what that looks like? Yeah, and I'm gonna uh, as I talk kind of finger through this book here um there was a there was a portion of this and I'll, I'll get to it in a second let me start okay. with this um so essentially can you you ask that question again so how, how does god's sovereignty work in the midst of our choices that we make that are right. sinful so just for example, how does God's sovereignty work with the religious leaders in the days of Jesus whenever they mm -hmm. chose to crucify him? Right. How does right. it work with Judas betraying Jesus with 30 pieces of silver? Right. So I know the, the extreme, uh, I, I'd say, well, some people would say that God, God moved them to go do that. Um, and some people would say it was their sin nature, which God predestined they have that made them do that. And then some would say they made the free choice to do that. So what's your viewpoint in that discussion? Or how do you yeah, understand think, that? Sure. Yeah, I, I think the idea, and, and trying to find the scripture, the idea that God, um, again, is, is, governs all, thing, all things, right? He's not responsible or cause of our sin. Um, which would actually completely defeat the Reformed belief anyway, um, that we're that wicked. So if we're that wicked, then we're the ones that have caused our sin. Um, you know, so believing that God's not the cause of these things, but that God, in his wisdom, um, either allows us to uh, sin and therefore it reveals to us our nature and therefore our need for a Savior, which is grace of the grace of God, um, but also um, that God will remove his hand at times to allow us to sin so we can have our sin revealed, but also at times 
place his hand on us to also keep us away from sin. Um, so, so God is sovereign over that. But I, I, I believe that he makes those decisions based off, again, those ultimate, those ultimate ends, those purposeful ends that God is ultimately trying to bring about, which is ultimately hearts of people to turn back to him. Um, and I think that, you know, and I think it's the second verse of um, Amazing Grace that starts, uh, "Twas grace that taught our, taught our heart to fear. Right. Um, that idea that God is gracious in that he allows us to see our sin, um, that he allows us to, to, um, to, you know, act in sin ultimately so that would be revealed to us so that we see. Right. I think it talks about the scriptures talk about the law, um, you know, being that almost that mirror. Right. It's the law that essentially shows us our sin, um, you know, and, and there, you know, where sin abounds, grace abounds. Right. Like that that passage of scripture that just reveals to us it's the law. Um, that showed us, you know, it said sin increased. Well, we know sin didn't increase. People were wicked from the beginning and still continue to be wicked. But what it did was it showed the people, oh, we really don't match up to God's standard, you know, and that's, that's grace that God would show, um, you know, his, his, uh, our sin so that we ultimately would see our need for a savior. And so I don't think God is, you know, the causing anybody's sin. I think that man is fully responsible for the sin, but I think God is absolutely purposeful and, um, sovereign and, um, he governs our sin and sometimes he stops us. Sometimes he doesn't and all of it's grace. So shout out to Aaron jumping in the conversation here. <laughs> all he added to it was, Oh, not sure guy. what that means. <laughs> then he said, no, so yeah, I think he's just upset that it wasn't part of the conversation. No I will problem. say to, <laughs> to, 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 uh, I'm going to say this is off topic, but there was at one point we we're supposed to be sharing our five favorite preachers, I think. And we I was completely, we, I was completely left, left out, completely yeah. left out. So Aaron, it's all right, bro. We appreciate you. Aaron Simpkins sponsor of the uh, uh, Bible with Borda. So, um, so let's, let's jump back into the conversation since Aaron so uh, gently interrupted us. <laughs> Joseph, the story of Joseph, yeah. whenever God says, you know what they meant for evil, I meant for good. Right. So, yeah. We have the brothers selling him into slavery, uh, making it look like he was killed, yeah. and whatever. So, the question, in your, in your understanding, did God somehow create, or did he write the events of the brothers selling Joseph, which would be a sin, mm-hmm. um, or did he know that was going to happen, and he was able to use their sin in order to cause Joseph to rise to his power or level of authority, power, whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, here's, here's the thing that I'll start with, right? Like it absolutely, um, it absolutely is this, this thing where God doesn't need our help in, in terms of like causation to sin, right? Like if, if, if we're truly sinful and fallen because of our own actions, uh, because that, the actions of Adam in the garden and so forth, then we don't need God to cause his brothers to, you know, sell him into slavery and, and all that whole thing. Um, but what does happen is I do believe that God lifts his restraining hand, which, you know, I mentioned in the book, and um, he just allows us and he hands us over to our own flesh and our own devices. Um, and so it doesn't take much for us to, to do those things. But then again, God's providence comes in. He knows when to allow it and knows when not to. Right. Um, they absolutely could have killed him. Uh, they could have done something completely different, but God allowed them to do this very thing. And I think God was completely sovereign in that because, it, I mean, obviously we know the story goes that 
Joseph becomes second in command in, in Egypt and, and therefore can help his brothers and help all of Israel, the nation of Israel. Um, and so that doesn't happen without the sin, you know. And so that's what I, and that's kind of my point in the book when, when I say God is completely sovereign and provident um, in our sin because, you know, he's bringing to an ultimate purposeful end that is for good. Um, and that's what I believe Genesis 50, 20 is teaching us, which is, you know, um, we can intend all these different things. Our, our flesh is intending complete evil and destruction. But, but God's intention and all things that happen are for a purposeful end, which is good. Um, and so that's, that's kind of my viewpoint of that. Yeah. So would it be, I, I just want to make sure I'm kind of understanding this uh, yeah. accurately. So God doesn't have to cause us to sin because we're naturally going to sin because we're fallen beings. Absolutely. Yeah, I would, I would totally agree with that. Yeah. Okay. And, 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 and to the point, to hammer home on that, I think it's really just even down to the specifics, right? Like, like I said, like his brothers could have done anything else. Um, and their problem, I mean, it was how long was it in their hearts for him to do that, to do that, right? They, they, they struggled with hatred toward Joseph, right, uh, for a while. And they chose this and God let them do this specific thing. Um, and, you know, and, and I actually want to add uh, to that story. There's uh, I used to be really inter like interested in Native American history. Um, and actually, believe it or not, Pocahontas, and of course, the, the movies of Disney or Pixar want to make it seem like she wanted to go to, to Europe and then this nice cruise kind of thing, right? But she was taken as a slave, you know, over to Europe. And um, essentially, you know, what happened, though, was that she ended up actually converting to Christianity and following Jesus uh, because she was introduced to the gospel, you know, in Europe. Um, and so what do you do with that, right? Like, obviously, we know if God's after hearts and, and repentance and people, you know, to be reconciled to him. You know, God allowed this specific thing. It's almost kind of, uh, you know, aligned with Joseph's story, right? Taken into slavery and, and whatever. But, but you know, she ended up being converted to Christianity, and they even gave her a new name, and they actually named her Rebecca, which is the name of uh, Joseph's grandmother. Um, you know, so kind of just the parallels of that story. You just see how God, um, you know, uses very specific uh, things, even though we intend evil, um, for ultimately, you know, again, good, so. Yeah, yeah. And I think the, the story of Joseph is kind of, um, you know, I, I think that is a, a beautiful picture of how God works, that uh, he knows exactly what we're going to do, whether or not he writes it or not. Mm -hmm. uh, he knows what's going to happen, and he's able to yeah. work everything together uh, for the good. Now, Marcus, you do explain in the book, Romans eight twenty eight. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't want you to give everything in the book, even though I'm sure you'd sure. sit here and teach everything in the book and wouldn't yeah. care whether it sold or not. But uh, so explain to us Romans eight twenty eight. God works yeah. all the things together for the good right. of those who love and, and are called according right. to His purpose. Uh, yeah. What is the good there? Because I think a lot of people we we take that scripture and we think, oh, things are going to get better. Right. God's going to work all the doctors' medicines to absolutely heal me. He's going to work our supervisors and managers' day to make us uh, promoted. Yep. What is the good there, sir? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, like you said, we pull out that one, one passage, that one verse, and then, it, you know, it basically goes on to tell us what that good is, but we, we often don't read it. Um, and that good is to be transformed and conformed to the image of Jesus, you know? And so that, that includes our suffering. It includes the blessings that do come. All of it is for the purpose of becoming more like Jesus. And so um, if we never get that new car, if we never get that new house, if we do have to, you know, endure suffering for a long, if, if not for a lifetime, um, it's all for a purpose of ultimately becoming more like Jesus. And so it's our responsibility to um, look at our circumstances, not necessarily ask God to change the circumstances, but ultimately change our hearts 
um, that we would just look more like Jesus. And, um, you know, that, that's, that's the good, that's the good. And like I said, Pocahontas became a Christian. She found Jesus. That, that's the good, you know, right. um, sure. She didn't want to be in Europe, <laughs> you know, she probably wouldn't be home with the family. Um, same thing with Joseph, but you know, the good is that ultimately we would be reconciled to Jesus and that we'd be more like Jesus. That's, that's the good. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I just wanted to throw that in there. That's one of my, yeah. uh, that's one of my favorite verses. Yeah, it really is. I really like that verse in its true context. Yeah. So you know what? And I'll, and I'll add Jason as well to that. Um, I, I think that was the verse, the verse 29, I believe it is right after 28. Right. Uh, well, obviously the numbers, <laughs> um, but um, that verse about, you know, uh, that good being that we'd be conformed to the image of God was a comfort in my season of, um, of man, I see my sin. I'm, I'm burdened by my sin. Um, what do I, what do I do about it? Right. How do I, like I said, I learned that I can't do anything physically in my flesh to, to fix myself. Um, you know, but that comfort was that God promised to use my circumstances to make me more like him. And it was a promise, you know, um, you know, it says, uh, predestined, right. We talk about predestination, but you know, of course, you know, um, you know, we want to talk about like predestination and salvation, but what about the idea that God has promised us sanctification? Like yeah. that is, that is something that's sweet. And, you know, that's really, um, just valuable is that, you know, I, I got to sit in that and, and not be in shame or guilt, but that I could, you know, have peace and comfort in knowing that, man, God is going to do the work in me. Um, you know, if I can just humble myself and allow him to do it. And that was such a comfort to me in that season. So, um, we should be excited about that good that God is, that, that Jesus is doing in our hearts. Yeah. Let's read that real quick. So, uh, so here and, and everything I do is an ESV. Um, I, I guess I should be reformed as well, uh, <laughs> until I get the legacy Bible. Right. Um, and we know for, and this is Romans eight twenty eight twenty nine thirty, 29, 30. Uh, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who were called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of a son in order that he may be or might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those who he predestined, he also called. Those who called, he also justified. Those who justified, he also glorified. So you got to take all three of those verses together. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So let's see what Aaron's got to say over here. Uh Aaron says, I'm getting worked out to be like a G, riding a donkey, shaking all the hands and kissing babies like Jesus. <laughs> and then he said, got to be the BSB, the BSB. Yeah. Is yeah. that the BS Bible? Oh, is that the translation uh, of that verse? Uh, 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 <laughs> uh, this is the ESV. So, uh, yeah, I don't know about uh, uh, Aaron here. So, um, so. And so the mistakes that, that you made, let's, let's kind of get back to the book and yourself. The mistakes that you made were made by you. Uh, God did not make you do them. Right. However, he was able to use those mistakes to give a form of, of correction and sanctification out of those. Mm -hmm. So in that, God was sovereign in the whole scenario. Is that kind of how you would, you would, you would envision that? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a, um, uh, part of the book where I, I kind of specify that, um, and I think I say it twice because it really just hit home. And I think I even, when I, as I was writing the book, I think I even, you referenced I yourself in the book. Yeah, yeah, I <laughs> did. did, and I think I texted that too. Which, it was just, it was, to me, it was, so, it was so good. It was like a revelation almost. It just like um, <laughs> this idea that it, if you think about it, you know, often we want to think about because 
I say in the book that marriage was the primary tool, right? That, that God mm-hmm. really used to, to get my attention and, and obviously the whole process, including the divorce to get my attention, therefore bring me to the place of repentance. Right. Um, and, and I make the case in the book because I think we, in the Christian community, we obviously hold marriage at a high esteem and it should be, it absolutely should be, um, you know, because it is a, is an institution governed, you know, governed and, and instituted by God. But, um, but sometimes we, we do need to understand the purpose of it. Uh, and not so much just like, oh, get married and you've, you've reached this accomplishment, you know, you're good. Um, no, it's, it's a tool. And I think that, you know, the way we look at it and the way I needed to look at it was that, you know, because we can get so bummed out, like, God, you, you hate divorce. Why did, why did you let this happen? Um, but ultimately, what is God after, right? God is after my heart. He's after her heart. He's after the hearts of people. And so, you know, whatever he needed to do to, to get to that, point where he had two hearts that were completely surrendered and arrested by him, you know, that's what he was going to do. And, you know, yeah, I, I guess it's just this, the idea that, um, that it's not, you know, of course God would have been honored by, you know, a healthy marriage and God would have been honored by the preservation of the marriage. Um, but God ultimately is after my heart. Um, like I said, her heart. And um, ultimately, I, I think that's what he's gotten. Um, and, you know, I think I uh, praise God for that. And um, yeah, so just kind of reshaping um, the the priority there, um, I think has, has been important in, in my understanding recently. Yeah, I was trying to find it real quick and uh, I couldn't mm-hmm. find it. But yeah, I remember I, I thought it was, um, I did appreciate it. Uh, I'm yeah. a person who is really big on marriage and, and biblical marriage and, you know, yeah biblical husbandship and, and, and mm-hmm. bride and all that kind of stuff. Right. And so whenever you wrote that, I, I read it, I read it over a couple of times to, to get what you were saying. And, uh, I definitely think the, the goal of marriage is not to be married. Right. Like that's not the goal. The goal right. isn't just to be husband and wife. Right. I mean, uh, it's, it's to help each other become more, more like, like Christ. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so, and I try to explain it to people whenever they, you know, I ask them like, why are you getting married? Mm. And they're like, uh, because I want to be able to have PG thirteen, right. y'all. Uh, because I want to be able to have sex. <laughs> like, didn't Paul yeah. say if you can't withhold from sex that you should be married so that you don't yeah. break the law? And love that one. <laughs> so that's the one that people love. They're like, hey, yeah. we really want to have sex. Let's just go get married, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and if that's the reason you get married, then whoo, you got a yeah. long hard marriage ahead of you, or or short sure. marriage, or short marriage. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's absolutely in order to help keep each other accountable and, uh, and to be able to serve Christ better, be more like Christ. And I think God does use your spouse to sanctify you. Well, yeah. I don't know if sanctify to help, help, help she, keep you accountable. A, she's a, not to di- diminish a person, but she's a tool and, and we're both tools. Yeah. Right? Yeah. To, to ultimately, you know, help each other be sanctified. Right. So, um, yeah. I think scriptures are clear that it's our responsibility to be spiritual leaders to, to point them towards Jesus. So yeah, absolutely. We're each other's, uh, you know, tool to be more like jesus yeah absolutely so uh so one thing i want to ask you is do you feel like the uh looking at the sovereignty of god in this is there any danger to the idea of okay well i guess it's all okay now being that god was using it for my good do you feel like there could be a danger in that because you know i have heard individuals that say well god's he's written every day in my life so he wrote this, so it's nothing I can do about it. Right. right. How would you address a, a person who might think or say that? 
Yeah, I would absolutely say that's very dangerous. Um, very dangerous. Uh, what's, what's, Aaron, what's Aaron saying here? Aaron said, Brooke, Marcus said you're a tool. I'm providing no context. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, you're in trouble. Yeah, talk about out of context, right? Um, but yeah. I, Philippians, I that... Philippians 4.13, Aaron. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was I saying? Uh, as far as a, a person uh, using God's sovereignty as an excuse that God yeah. wrote every day in my life. He already wrote this yeah. down. He wrote the book of my life. I'm just living it out. It's not my fault. Yeah, that's that's definitely dangerous. I think that, and I, I think I might have alluded to it earlier, this idea that there's paradoxes in Scripture, right? Um, where both things are true, and yet, you you know, you, you can't go to the extremes. Right, um, right. We absolutely have responsibility to uh, not sin. Uh, to, you know, um, work out our, our faith and, and, and um, uh, fear and trembling, right? Um, so it's that's our responsibility. Um, and so what I would say is if you're going to see God's sovereignty over our sanctification, um, God's going to hit you with a brick in the face when you keep sinning. Like that's, that's, that's my, you know, experience with the sovereignty of God in my sanctification process. It isn't this thing where God's just like, here now you're an angel, right? Because I think that was that was pre my previous understanding. Like, okay, well, I desire it, right? The flesh, the the uh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I I desire it, um, but that doesn't make me holy all of a sudden or sanctified. Um, there is work that I have to put in, but as I kept sinning in my flesh, you know, I'm gonna get keep getting hit with bricks in the face because of my own, not because God's hitting me, but because of the consequences of my sin. And, you know, and that's, that's, and that's God's sovereignty there. And so I think to think that God's sovereign and that he's just going to, you know, button you up and go on, on your way and you're all, you're all good now. Um, that's just not how it works. God has called us to, to have a responsibility in our spiritual lives. And that includes prayer, that includes being in the word, um, being convicted by the word, by the spirit, um, to ultimately walk in the spirit um, and to actually, you know, live according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. That's something that is man's responsibility as we follow Jesus. And, of course, we're enabled to do that by the Holy Spirit. Uh, but, you know, this it's, again, that both and where God is completely sovereign. Yes, but uh, we do have responsibility that we can't just, you know, say, oh, well, you know, I keep saying, oh, well, God's sovereign over. He's causing me or making me sin. I can't. That's just not the case. And that's not biblical at all. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to bring this this verse um, to the conversation here. It's in First uh, James or not first James, James 1, 13 through 14. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is Lord and enticed by his own desire. So, so many people will say that, well, God's, God's tempting me. He's putting this in front of me. Um, so therefore, it's his fault. He's putting it in front of me. He knows I'm going to sin. Like, you know, it's like putting candy in front of a baby, or a little kid, their favorite candy, and saying, don't eat it. It's your fault you put it there because you knew they were going to eat it. Right. That's how people will, will use this uh, this idea in that, well, God knew that I was going to, you know, that, that I'm an alcoholic, so he shouldn't have put me in a bar. He shouldn't have had someone bring <laughs> alcohol around me. Uh, and it's his yeah. fault that it was in front of me, right? right? And so a lot of people use this idea of, of that being God's sovereignty that causes them to sin. Yeah. And um and I would agree it's it's very much a paradox. All of my favorite teachers agree, just like the triune God is a paradox, mm -hmm. three and one. Yeah. Right. Jesus yeah. being dead but alive. I yeah. mean Jesus being born but not created. 
Mm-hmm. Pretty much anything Jesus affiliated at all is a paradox. <laughs> yeah. I mean, fully God, fully man. Yeah. So it's a paradox, right? How are you yeah. going to be fully God, fully man? Thank you for not saying 100% God, 100% man. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that, brother. I appreciate that. For sure. <laughs> uh, I, I, I can't say that because our brains can't wrap around 200%. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but there is a paradox there. And I think, you know, the reason why I don't know if I could fully go full on whether you know it be Reformed theology or even Arminian or free will or however you want to say it, uh, I always compare them as you know robots and, and free willies is the way I consider it. Mm-hmm. Um, robots because it form Cal- uh, extreme Calvinism would say that you know God's in control of our every move, and right. then the extreme Arminian would be you know God has no, He lets us do whatever we want to do. Right, right. And uh, and I believe that both of those extremes are wrong, just as you had stated earlier. So, yeah. uh, so kind of, let me see, we are 48 minutes into it. Um, so at the end of the day, what would you say, um, is kind of your next step. You've, you've written this book. I read it. And like I said, man, it's very well written. I can tell you have a history in writing. Um, and you're helping me edit my James study guide. And I do appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. so one, uh, where can people get this book? For sure. Yeah. Uh, so right now um, you can get updates to the book um, on where you, get, you can get it and where you'll get, you know, where it'll be available um, by going to gospelnculture.com and that's gospel, the letter in culture.com um, and go to the store tab and you will see uh, all information about the book. Um, there may be uh, early uh, access to the book available there. So keep an eye on that page. Um, currently working with a publisher that's uh, may go ahead and publish it uh, to a wider audience. And so, you know, that information could change. Um, but yeah, definitely keep an eye on that page and try to keep content flowing through that page. Um, but yeah, that book is definitely um, on the store page and you can find information on where to get it, early access to it and uh, any updates. Yeah, man. So what's your next plan? Are you, are you writing anything now or are you just trying to fix all my stuff? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know what? I, I, I'm, uh, I'm doing a lot. Uh, got okay. a lot going okay. on. Um, started a YouTube recently for that ministry, Gospel and Culture. Uh, so feel free to check that out as well. Um, you know, I'm trying to get back into article writing, um, okay. writing articles for different platforms and, and as well as the Gospel and Culture website. Um, and so just trying to balance all of that. I think, you know, it's a season of taking a break for sure from the, the book writing. Um, that was definitely a, a challenge and, and just takes a lot out of you for sure, especially something as personal as as this was, um, and just really trying to digest what the Lord was teaching me and what I was, uh, you know, um, learning about my own experiences. So, um, definitely a break from, from book writing, but I'm sure, you know, I'll be back at it eventually, uh, when the Lord calls again. But, um, but yeah, right now, definitely putting out content on YouTube and, and the, and the gospel and culture website is, is kind of the move. So Aaron says here, his next step is transplant part two, the story of my second, <laughs> second heart. <laughs> Wow, okay. <laughs> Aaron, Aaron's a trip, man. Gotta yeah. love him because yep. God ordained it. Yeah. Um, he commanded it's it. Predestined. That's, that's about the only reason he could. So, so <laughs> I do want to do a quick lightning round. Um, so, uh, just, you know, I'm going to shout out your favorite whatnots and just kind of give your sure. thoughts. Uh, favorite Bible translation. Ooh, uh, man. Okay. So, so got to give a small little caveat. Uh, it's still <laughs> new American standard right now. Uh, it, it very well could be the legacy standard, um, but I, I don't have my hands on the Old Testament of that yet. 
and that actually I believe would be my be my um the thing that that takes me over the top there with that. So I have to get my hands on an Old Testament LSB, um, but right now it's the New American Standard. <laughs> so let's be real, Marcus is trying to be oh, Sproul's. Get out of here. <laughs> Uh, all right, you go to YouTube. What's the one pastor you could look up at any time? Oh, wow. Oh, it's probably John Piper. John Piper. Yeah, uh, Aaron's going to get me for that one. But yeah, John Piper. Uh, if you could live through one story in Scripture minus mm. Jesus, wow. what would it be? Wow. Ooh. If you could witness it. That's good. Oh, man. Um. Man, what's coming to mind to be honest with you is uh Peter, Simon Peter. Um, just 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 walking in his shoes. I, I genuinely feel like my experience over the last couple of years has has uh made me uh think about life through his lens a little bit more. Um mm-hmm. and uh, I just feel like uh, to experience that firsthand uh with the mistakes he's made, his past, um the mistakes he continued to make even well obviously at the at the cross denying him. Um you know, so yeah, I think Simon Peter just to experience that that level of grace, knowing that he ultimately went on to, um, you know, not take the Judas route, but um, you know, uh, fix fix it, uh, you know, repent and and live for Jesus. Yeah. Cool deal. Who is your favorite Christian hip hop artist? Hmm. Uh, why do I feel like I'm gonna say I'm gonna say the truth? Um. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Who is your favorite? Princeton, North Carolina, Caucasian Christian hip hop artist. Oh gosh, <laughs> that was Jason Bordeaux for sure. Bro. Yeah, <laughs> I got on somebody's top something yo, list. Yo, I got that stuff on repeat <laughs> all the time. Oh my goodness. Oh man, all right. Those beats, man. Those beats coming in. Whoever you got producing, y'all, oh, killing I gotta say, I tell people all the time, I'm not a great songwriter. I'm a great beat beat picker. Yeah, those things like. Are- like Dang. I love I, I love the beats that I find. So yeah, yeah man. Uh, so that's it, man. I appreciate you taking the time and uh and, and doing this interview with me. Uh, everybody, if you haven't checked it out yet, Marcus Tatum. I'm gonna put a link to the Amazon uh or the. Would you rather me do the Amazon link or the website link? Yeah, that's perfectly fine. I was gonna say uh for your your viewers, definitely send them to the Amazon link. Uh, again, publisher might be publishing to a more wider wider audience, so there might be some okay. changes coming up, but. Um, definitely get the early access book uh, with the Amazon link that Jason's going to share. All right. One last question. This one comes from Mr. Aaron Simpkins. Old earth or young earth? This is like the gospel for Aaron. This is like the one thing that matters. Um, I mean, it's definitely young earth. Okay. Okay. All right. That's the only thing Aaron cares about. Yeah, that's it. All right, Marcus. See you next time, man. Have a great day. All right, Jason. I appreciate you, man.